Welcome to the Fabric Podcast. This is a conversation about growth, and we're calling it It's Hard Not To. It seems like we love to make it hard on ourselves and feel like the odds are against us, and we are facing great and unique challenges as individuals and as a society, but when it comes to growth, it's going to happen. Does that mean we don't have any work to do? No need for practice? Of course not. And that's why we want to welcome you into this conversation. I'm Greg Meyer. We, we live in a world right now that, you know, you don't have to pay too much attention to feel like a lot of things are off kilter. And that's scary. It's hard. Uh, it feels like it probably means a lot of work. Who knows what it might mean for you. I think that makes it all the more important for us. While we can't change the world, we, we can change ourselves. For, for us to be people who are on kilter. And that doesn't mean perfect. That doesn't mean have all of our flaws worked out. But just, you know, can we help each other get on kilter and do our parts in helping this world be different? And kind of that's what we're talking about these days. And I think maybe it's one of the things we're about as a community. So this is the graphic we're using for this series. It's hard not to. Chris Tripolino designs virtually all of our graphics and really gets the gist of what we're trying to get at and do that. And so if you look at that picture, what do you see? How would you describe it? What, what is that? That's a... It's a rock. Yeah, it's a big rock. Right, right. Suppose you're actually like, you're standing there looking at that, but now you move 10 feet to the left and you look. Now what are you going to see? What would that picture look like then? A field of flowers. So supposing, no, you go 10 feet to the right and look. What would it be? A field of flowers, right? If you went up to the, just 10 feet forward and looked at it, what would you see? I feel the no, but because there's something plunked down right down in front of you that is an anomaly to what the whole scene is, you all said, it's a rock. What really describes that picture? Is that a field of flowers? My uh, flower-loving family tells me they're verbena. Uh, is that a field full of flowers flooded with light and beautiful sky? Or is it a rock? You know, I, I think it's really easy to see a rock. But I think it's hard not to see it as a field full of flowers and light. Right? It just sort of depends on how you consider it, whether you step back, whether you bother to take a bigger look at it or not. Right? Um, like I said, you know, we often miss what's really here because something else get plunk, gets plunked down right in front of us. And what makes us think that that's what the world is about. That's what I'm about. This is what defines me. This is what decides what I do and what I don't do. And actually, no, it isn't. No, it isn't. You know, it, it isn't that way. So what we're trying to do these five weeks is see past this anomaly that's in front of our noses to the bigger reality of the world, the bigger reality of our lives, and, and realize that actually <laughs> that big reality, that's the real thing. That's really what you're about. This is what you are prepared to do. Um, this is about spiritual growth. And spiritual growth is just such a weird term. You know, it sounds like it belongs to something else. Uh, the definition we've been using, in fact, have operated with for a long time, is spiritual growth is simply this process of aligning your, aligning your whole self with the image of God within you. It's a, pro- it's a process. It's going to go on your entire life. You never get there. It's a horizon thing, but it's a process, right? It goes all sorts of directions of aligning, you know, kind of pulling your whole, all these things together, all those strands of yourself, pulling them together um, with, with the image of God within you. And the image of God, don't make that all like big, magical, scary, weird sort of thing. No, it's just, it's just all that place deep inside you, which I think is undeniably there, that it's really connected to all things. That you are a part of this world. You're a part of the people. You are a part of 
the universe, you're part of everything. You can't not be connected. If somehow deep inside you, that image, that connection to all things wasn't there, we wouldn't be able to exist. I mean, biologically, we rely on the fact that we as human beings make sense in the ecosystem of, of the world. And I think it's true in a lot of other dimensions as well. So being spiritual isn't changing who you are. It's not some magical thing that gets layered on top. It's being, who, being what you are. Uh, it's hard not to be spiritual, frankly, because it isn't something like, I'm astral life and now I'm going to become spiritual too. No, you simply are a spiritual creature. That, that is who we are. That's all those dimensions. The question isn't, are you spiritual? The question is, what do you do with your spirituality? What do you do with that spiritual self? That, that's the question that I think we need to wrestle with. You know, so being spiritual isn't you know, some superhuman or non-human, like I transcend my physical self and I'm all spiritual. No, it isn't any of that sort of stuff at all. Sometimes you might experience it like that, but it's simply your full self. We have all these elements, all these dimensions of our development, of our growth, our physical, intellectual, um, social, emotional development. You don't have all those, and then you also have spiritual. No, spiritual development is just all those things coming together making you whole, making you real, making you connected, making you, what, work with the world around you. So that's what spiritual is. But I, I kind of really want to focus today on the second word, on the growth word, um, because I think that's one that really comes into play and is really challenged by what we want to talk about today, where it, you know, it's hard not to wonder. Um, and, and here's why. Let's see if I can help make this connection. What does growth imply? Growth implies progress, maybe. Yeah, it, it, I'll get there. Yeah, it, it implies better. I mean, a lot of times we think it, but the truth is, growth isn't always progress. It isn't always better. I mean, it kind of goes up and down. It goes backwards. But all things can contribute to its growth. It depends how we use them, how we see them, what our relationship with those things are. But where you said, you know, growth is change. I think that's the thing. Growth is change. But you know how us human beings are with change, right? Who here is not in favor of progress? You know, who here is not in favor of change? Yeah, quite a few of us. <laughs> you know, I, can I have progress without change? No, you can't. Progress means change, and change is hard. So this is on you know, the back of your Sunday paper. There's an outline, and you can use that and follow it if you want. If you don't want to, that's okay. Really, the virtue is that you are processing these things and writing your own ideas. But to grow means to change. To grow means to change. Would you agree with that? Yeah. I, I think it's undeniable, um, whether we like that or not. Um, so spiritual growth means we need to be changing. If your spiritual growth need, means that you need to change, and not, not a need as in you're supposed to or obligation, but it, it just implies that change will be happening within you, okay? What are the traits? What are the characteristics? What are the elements of yourself that you would want to have come forward so that growth could happen, right? Um, put up this next picture here. You'll find that on your Sunday paper. It's a, this circle. I grow spiritually the best when I am what? When I'm what? I invite you to, like, what are the things that you would put in that circle inside there? When I am, you know, some of the things that came to mind for me is when I am moldable, when I'm flexible, discerning, but not judging. It's a difference there. When I'm honest, when I'm open-minded, when I'm open-hearted, I think I grow spiritually 
the best when I am um, curious, when I'm interested, um, adventurous, maybe? Discipline, forgiving, big one for me. I think what we want to talk about today is when I'm wondering. Let me just give you a little bit of time and um, just think. You may, have some, you may go some very different directions than I did, and that's fine. Um, let me give you a, just a minute, and you stick in some of the words there that make sense to you. Something to talk about with your group this week. Okay, I'm sure it takes a lot longer than that to figure some of those things out, but that's okay. Hopefully you have a start and something to be thinking about. Kind of get those wheels turning about this. So if you go back to our original picture, so that field of flowers and all the light, right? That is uh, all those things that you just wrote in that circle, right? All those things you said about yourself, those are all things that are there. Those are things you know how to be. That, that is the real picture of who you are, right? Now, all those things that fight against those traits, those characteristics, those ideas about yourself, those are the rock that got put there. I realize some of those things are right in front of your nose. It is hard not to see them. They are there, no denying. There is a rock in that field, but they are not the field. They are not you, right? In fact, in most cases, there are things that have been added to you. So the stone, that stone that is in the front there, that stone is called certainty, right? At least in terms of what I want to deal with today, that stone in the foreground is certainty. Now, I understand the appeal of certainty. Who doesn't like certainty? In our group this last week when we were talking about, you know, prayer and wouldn't it be nice, like, I know if I, know if I pray about this, I'll get this answer. I mean, we would all like that. If we knew how to pray that way or whatever, then we all also agreed that, no, it doesn't work that way. It doesn't make any sense at all. I mean, we'd like certainty, but, you know, certainty just doesn't work. And as a community, I want us to make sure that we aren't addicted to having to have certainty in order to have a meaningful community for what we do here, how we are together to have some value to us, that we got to know how it works and we get those right answers. I mean, that has been practiced a lot. But when we do that, when we decide, well, this is how it works, this is what we do, these are the answers, these are the truths we all need to agree with, and so on, and then it all works, what we've done is we've made ourselves a museum of the form of relevance and value that was created by the people at the time that they decided to make the decisions. And when was that? I mean, it might have been hundreds of years ago. It might have been decades ago. It might have been last week, but does it still fit this week? I don't want us, I don't want anything in our world, but I certainly don't want us as a community to become a museum of what was relevant and valuable at one time. I want us to be a laboratory where we experiment and try to discover what is relevant and valuable to us right now and hold it loosely enough that people can do it beyond us or even different ones among us, right? So this is where wonder comes in. Wonder is that field of flowers and light. That's who we are. We are good soil. We are soil that when we allow that to bear fruit, it does bear fruit 30-fold, 60-fold, 100-fold. You know, so, you know, can you help but wonder? Can you help but, once you think about it, look at that field and not just see 
a field of beautiful flowers that's flooded by light? I mean, no. You know, he starts defining it for you. Now, I realize, though, it is tempting to be certain. All right? So this is kind of what we've been hacking away at this whole time right now. It's tempting to be certain. And, you know, there's so much ambiguity. Certainty, certainty seems a solution to be a solution, but actually certainty is not a solution. It's a problem. All right? So it's tempting to be certain, but it's hard not to wonder. It's hard not to. Can you stop the wondering going on inside you? I, I can't. Right? I can try to push it back, but it just keeps coming up. And I, when I don't, someone else around me does do it. So the truth is that certainty is a trap. It isn't a solution. It's a problem, and it's a trap. It says, that if, it says you've got it all figured out now. The truth is you don't have it all figured out. You never will. You can't. You are incapable of it, and that's okay, right? You are not supposed to be able to figure it all out. If you could, well, wouldn't that have been handed down to us a long time ago? I know some people think they did, right? And if you do have it all figured out, how come you're sitting there and I'm up here, right? Let's switch places. Um, yeah, you know, it just doesn't work that way. Now, kind of like as I said, religion has made quite an effort to be certain about everything, and they, you know, it goes by the words of, you know, belief. This is our believe. This is our creed. This is our doctrine. Uh, this is our dogma. Um, and, you know, and, and each of those, all those were created for, I'll, I'll give the benefit of the doubt, they're always created for good reasons. People really thought they had something that was so important and so true, and they wanted to make sure it got handed on. And don't we all want to do that? But in the meantime, you know, it got in the hands of, well, this is now, how do I make sure it continues? And so that becomes power, and that power then, you know, is used in many ways, and it becomes dangerous at the same time. There are all these doctrines out there, there's all these beliefs, there's all these right ways of doing stuff, and I get it, and I understand where a lot of it comes from. <laughs> I got two master's degrees in theology, okay? I mean, like, I get that. I enjoy it. I realize the value of it. But... I am much more interested in the compassion of Jesus than any doctrines about him. I am much more interested in figuring out what is this kingdom of heaven, which is Jesus' vision of all of us being deeply woven with all things and with that which is beyond us. I'm much more interested in how, knowing how that or figuring out what that has to do with my life on a daily basis than I am, like, what is the theology and the proper use of the sacraments or following the church calendar to find a way through the year. My guess is all of you are there with me, too. Those are the things that you are concerned about. It doesn't mean the other things don't have value. It means what is most important. What is the definition of the field? Which is the rock and which are the flowers? Certainty, you know, is inherently insecure, and that's one of its problems. It knows somewhere deep inside that things aren't that easy. And so it needs to defend itself, right? And so uncertainty's insecurity needs others to affirm it because it's insecure. So I need you to tell me that I'm right, right? And it does that by using coercion to create conformity, okay? That coercion is usually disguised. I mean, it has been exercised in a very violent outward way, but it's usually much more subtle. It uses tools like acceptance and approval and gives it to people who will agree with my version of certainty. And that's what the coercion looks like. It hits you on that deep place, that interpersonal place, that, um, that soft and sensitive, vulnerable place inside. In a nutshell, it looks like this, all right? 
Um, certainty uses coercion to assure conformity. Certainty uses coercion to assure conformity. Does that sound familiar? Does it seem about right? Maybe a stereotype, but I think it's probably pretty true. Certainty says it is already done. It's been established, and me, being the person who issues certainty, I'm in charge of it, which means I have to defend it. I need to get everybody to agree with my version of certainty. So it's invariably going to be inflexible. Change, growth, is threatening to it, right? To change my understanding of certainty would be to admit that something was wrong, that I shouldn't have been so certain. So we don't want to do that. And the outcome that it has then is a replica of itself. When you all agree with me on all this sort of stuff, you're basically becoming just your version of me. Conformity, right? Um, was it, what, two weeks ago? One of our big takeaways and something we've tried to embody as a community from day one is that there is such a thing as unity without uniformity, and we try to be a community that realizes that and remembers that. Okay, so that's one option. Certainty uses coercion to assure conformity. There's another one, and that is this. Conviction, conviction is compelling, and that engenders conversation. Let me walk you through that a little bit. Conviction is something that possesses you. It isn't something that you possess. No, it possesses you. It grabs you. It says, there is something here that is so exciting, so enlivening. It just touches your passions. It touches your hope. And it is in charge of you. You are not in charge of it. It is in charge of you. And so you pursue it. And change is expected as you get closer and closer to it and begin to discover it. You know just inside you that it is going to continue to look different and to take you to places you never thought of before. It's going to change shape. So, you know, it's something you don't hold tightly in your fist. It's something you hold tightly in your heart, in the soft places within yourself. It is flexible. Um, it, is, it sees change. It sees growth as learning and welcomes it. And the outcome? Well, anything is possible. We don't really know exactly where it's going to go. And that's okay. I mean, and it's an adventure. It's a possibility. It's something that we're chasing. There is nothing to defend, only something to offer. That is such a key difference between conviction and certainty. Certainty needs to defend itself. Conviction does not. It knows it has something to offer and is interested in what comes back. So certainty is that rock in the field. And certainty fears wonder. Certainty wants to control wonder. And certainty's view of wonder is doubt. It says, hmm. And doubt is negative. Well, you know, you really should get rid of those doubts. They're keeping you from seeing the truth. It's a chink in the armor, a chink in the armor through which I might be injured. So I, you know, going to try to keep away from that. Questions are okay, but they all have answers that I can give you. And I have the right answers for your questions. That, so then you will see the brilliance of my certainty, all right? Um, now, it's easy to kind of look down on that, but where's this at, where is this at work in your life? I mean, it's in my life all over the place. Um, people that disagree with me, well, I'm pretty certain that they're wrong. <laughs> yeah. 
areas of competence, things that you feel like you're really good at. It's really easy to go from like just being good at something to really believing that if you don't do it my way, you're doing it wrong. Yeah. Um, places where you see no alternatives, you're looking for the right answers. Time, times when you get pushed into a corner and you have anger as a reaction, my guess is that you move into a certainty mode. There's a right, there's a wrong, right? And the other person is responsible for that anger, for that tension to all that you're feeling inside. Now, some people might say, well, that's not me. Actually, I have the opposite problem. I tend to, like, don't think enough of myself. I, I think I never have the answer. I never know the right thing and so on like that. Well, guess what? That's your certainty. You're certain that you're not right. And you, imp you impose that on the world. You impose it on yourself. Yeah. Who knows? Maybe you should wonder about whether that's true. Maybe you know more than you, don't, than you think. So that option, then, is to look at conviction. Conviction welcomes wonder, and it seeks to learn from it. So conviction sees doubt, not so negatively. Conviction, conviction sees doubt as a tool of faith and life, and it is not a defect. No, it's a possibility. It's something that needs to be there to explore what's next. It's wonder. How do you feel about doubt? It's interesting, we have that word doubt and we have that word wonder. Really, you know, I, I wonder about that. I doubt that. It's kind of synonymous, right? But um, they both play an important role there. So, uh, you know, for conviction, doubt is not a chink in the armor that I'm going to be endangered by, but it's a crack in the shell that I can see out of this. Whatever it is that's trying to hold me in, control me, uh, contain me, keep me from a bigger world, bigger possibilities, it's, it's that possibility that I can see through to something bigger, something beyond me. That's okay. And as we do that, when we live with conviction, we will make mistakes, right? We uh, will do things that um, uh, maybe make us feel or look naive to other people because we're not quite sure how to do something yet, and we're trying something that seems foolish, all right? And, uh, you know, sometimes we'll have regrets as we follow these convictions. Well, first of all, don't think that people that work on certainty don't have all the same experiences. They're just, you know, that side of us just is better at hiding it away. But the fact is that your spirituality is simply being you. And that includes things, you know, like mistakes and being naive and having regrets because who you really are is imperfect. You are imperfect beings. I am an imperfect being. There, that is a definition of what it means to be a human being, is to be imperfect. Um, humans may be the perhaps the most amazing creatures on this planet. I don't know if that's true or how you could ever figure that out. But, I mean, we're certainly up there like the most amazing, but yet we are so unbelievably limited. Uh, and, and that's okay. That's okay for us to be that way. Um, the, the thing is, though, that we want to be perfect, right? And so we crave certainty. And I, I think there's a couple of reasons. I, I don't know if I parse these out quite well, but I think they kind of get to the point of it. There's one of the reasons we crave certainty is we want to be right. We want to know what the right things. We want to have that bigger picture all the time. The, the temptation, and the truth is, the temptation for most, most of it isn't, uh, you know, to be perfect because we know we can't but we'd like to think we are, right? At least to hide, we hide our imperfections and do that. But we are so limited. Um, let me give you a couple examples of, about how limited we are to just help us get perspective and to let go of some of our certainty and to realize that there's a lot to wonder about and that's kind of a cool thing. 
The first one is, and maybe some of you won't relate to this so, so well, but I was a, I'm a math and science geek, right? But everybody know what the concept of infinity is, right? Infinity meaning something goes on forever and ever and ever. Okay, I want your mind to apply it to time, right? Like time will go on forever and ever and ever. And I want you to think about now and infinity into the future. Now, they might kind of stretch your head and so on, but you kind of get it, right? It just doesn't end. It just keeps going. There's another year, then another year, and another year, and it just goes on forever. Okay, that's like cool. Now I want you to think about infinity in time going backwards so that there was always a year before this, and it just... So where, where does that go? It, infinity before. So here's, here's the issue with it. I mean, if, you know, mathematically speaking, if the infinity can go forward, why can't it go backwards? I mean, because it's an infinite amount of time. Where you are on it is irrelevant. It just keeps going forever in all directions. But here's the problem. If infinity goes backwards in time, we could never get to now because there's still an infinite amount of time before we get to here. Uh, I, I just... I don't have the answer. I don't even know why that's a question. All I know is it really makes my head hurt and makes me realize that I don't get existence. Like, you know, this universe is like just too complicated for me. All right, that, that's one. Here's another one. Um, Chris, my wife, and I, we have a tendency to, well, tendency, always. We sit, we got bird feeders out our back window. So in the morning with our first cup of coffee, now that the kids are all gone, um, we sit and enjoy that and watch the birds out the window. And one of the things is we have this big grapevine, and the sparrows come flying in at, what, who knows, looks like 100 miles an hour, really fast, and they go through the leaves and land on these little grapevine stems perfectly every time. They don't run into the trellis behind it. They don't run into each other. They go from 30 to zero, just like that. Like, how do they do that? I mean, somehow they must be perceiving space and time differently than I can because I could not do that. I mean, I can't, and it's not that I can't fly or I can't move that fast. Those are also true. Those are just technicalities. Like, I can't think that fast. I can't judge things that fast. There's something about it. So I, I looked into it, and um, I was, um, show this video here. This is a goshawk, which is a common hawk around here, and it's going to fly through that hole. See the size of that bird compared to the hole. Here it goes. This is real time, actual speed. All right. Now, this is two and a half times slower. All right. Now, in order to actually see what they're doing, you have to go 40 times slower. Watch it come through here. So it's probably going 35 miles an hour. It didn't blink. All right, well, that's too easy. Let's make the hole smaller. So now the hole's a third the size. No problem. So make it a whole tunnel they have to go through. That's real time. Now, the point of that isn't that that is really cool, which it is. The point of that is, like, that bird has to be experiencing the world differently than I do in order to be able to do it. That's not just an athletic accomplishment. They are experiencing the world. They're experiencing time and space differently than I can. All right? Um, but just, just to give yourself a break, um, here's a, another bird coming in for a landing.
Okay. I just, uh, you didn't notice that, did you? Um, okay. Um, I just, you know, I'm just going to move on along here. Uh, let's see it in uh, slow motion here. I just offer that because if you're like me, you screw up and fall off the roof and break your wrist and stuff like that. And, you know, that's okay to be dumb once in a while, too. That's all right. Um, we're not perfect. And we aren't expected to be perfect. Uh, another example, no videos for this one, sorry, but a bat flies around at night, has very underdeveloped eyes, and goes around, catches little insects on the fly, knows how to land, knows how to do everything, navigate, miss things, and it can't see. It's not using sight. It is using sonar. It gets out little squeaks. And the thing is, and this is, this is the point here, is that we try, you know, we can do things like that, um, but we turn it into a visual map, right? So you get sophisticated computers and you do sonar pings and it creates a map and we look at the map. A bat doesn't do that. A bat doesn't turn the world that it hears into a visual replication of it. It doesn't rely on it. It actually is working with a sound map of the world around it. All I can say is that's what it does. I don't know what that means. I don't have the ability to conceive of it that way. Your dog and some other animals, um, they do something very similar in that they, through smell, they actually have a map of the world around them that is based on smells. They know how to navigate and travel and remember things and have a picture. We use the word picture, which is visual. It would be a smixture, right? A smell. Uh, they, they have a picture, they have a smixture of the world that is based on the smells. I don't know what that means, but they're actually able to do it. Again, the point of all that isn't that those things are amazing, which they are. The point is our perception, our experience of the world is so limited. There is no way we can be certain about all the things of this world. We need to be you know, partners with a lot more of it in order to ever get a, a glimpse of it at all. So if, if you not only can't do those things, but you can't fathom it. Just think how, what else you can't fathom. There's more that you can't fathom than you can fathom. Put it that way. Um, and that's good. The point isn't, like I said, that we're doing something wrong or we're, you know, that's bad or whatever. It's just that, no, we need to be part of something much, much bigger in this world. Yeah. I'm going to have to jump along here a little bit. Um, so, I... So we do that. We want to know everything. Um, you, you can look at this text from Mark on your own. You can talk about it in your groups. Um, but Jesus, over and over and over again, is confronted with the rules that they try to put him on and judge him on and decide whether he's a good man or whether he could possibly be the Messiah or not. And it's always about rules. And whether it is you know, who eats with, whether his disciples wash their hands, whether they eat on the Sabbath, whether he heals on the Sabbath, all these rules that he breaks, and he just won't have time of day for any of it. Um, but, but another reason that we, we want to avoid um, or we want to move towards certainty is that we're, we don't like um, complexity, right? We want to avoid complexity. Um, so we, we do that by trying to make things simple, right? And I think this is an important concept. There are two kinds of simple. That's complexity. And who wants that, right? So I want to avoid that. That's more than I can deal with. That's just way too messy. So... Um, so what we do is, you know, well, let me take an application of that. Let's say that you're wanting to draw, right? And you want to draw a human face. So you look at all these faces and paintings of faces, and you look at all that and you see, wow, the variety, the difference, the subtleties, the stuff I'd have to be able to understand in order to draw this would just 
blow my mind. There's no way I can do that. I can't deal with that complexity. So what I do is I'm going to take the version of simple that I call simplistic, right? And I make an emoji, a smiley face, right? Um, on Facebook or uh, replying to a text message, I get it. But in real life, the amount of emotion, the amount of human, humanity that I can express through that simplistic emoji is nothing. But if I am willing to dive into the complex and really learn from it, maybe I can't do that, but maybe I can do this. Maybe I can just make a simple line drawing that is really very, also very, very simple, but can convey emotion, convey something. And rather than simplistic, simplistic, it's simplicity. There's a difference between being simplistic, which is sim simpleness on the near side of complexity, and simplicity, which is on the far side of complexity, after you have gone through. You know, our, our love of certainty can't make us uh, fear complexity. It just means you can't live there. We need to go through and find that simplicity was on the other side. Um, you know, there are a million examples in everyday life uh, uh, a stoplight is a great answer to the complexity of an um, of a intersection. It kind of lets you know whether you should go or not go, yes or no. But then there's such things as, you know, right turn on red. Oh, we let it get a little bit more complex, but it works. Or, heaven forbid, a roundabout, you know? People are actually going to have to think, but maybe no one acts to stop. So um, as we get in there, what I really want you to know is the difference between conviction and certainty. What is... Why is conviction so different than certainty? And why was Jesus all about conviction and so uninterested in certainty? You know, blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Blessed are those who mourn, for they shall be comforted. The arc of history bends towards justice. I have a dream that there will be a day when a child will not be judged by the color of its skin, but the content of its character. Or... Those who want to save their life will lose it, and those who lose their life for my sake will save it. I mean, there's conviction behind those sorts of things. I am not asking you to never be sure. I'm not asking you to um, not have things you feel strongly about. Or I'm not trying to tell you that everything is relative and nothing really matters. You know, there's no... No, I'm, I'm just saying... Hold that differently. Look at that. Look at what is important and dear to you, and look at it through the lens of conviction. as something you hold tightly in your heart, but don't hold so tightly in your fist and let go. And ask, what is it that is so important about these things that are dear to me? And, and to let that grow, let that to expand, even to the point where you can hardly recognize where you started with the idea in the first place. And then when something challenges it, or even more so when someone challenges, when someone argues with it, don't be afraid. If the Bible is really clear about any message in all of it, it's do not be afraid. It is not a helpful reaction. There is something else there, all right? Maybe that argument, maybe the questioning of your certainty has no merit. Um, Maybe it is not something to pursue, but just maybe, just maybe it is the doorway you need to go to the conviction that is even more true to your heart, that will be even more compelling to the people around you, and will create conversations where people will discover things that make real changes in their lives and in our world. So 
you are always on the cusp of what might be, always. And wonder is what will allow you to go through that doorway. Don't kill it with certainty. I know it's tempting at least to want to be certain, but it's hard not to wonder. So let's continue to wonder. Let's join me in a moment of wondering. Uh, last week, uh, we talked about prayer, and we were pulling all three strands together, trying to see how they connect in real ways and understanding what our real hopes and dreams are. Help us to see how wonder is part of that and how wonder keeps all of our conversations with all of the strands, even the one just with ourselves, alive and real. Open up our hearts to the wonderings right now and help us address the wonderings that we have with one another. Let us be there for each other. Let us be a people who cares more about the content of our lives than the outward look of how we fit in and how we're the same. Be with us and help us to be those people. May it be so. Thanks for listening. May this simply be the start of the conversation. Reach out if you want help connecting with a group virtually or in the Twin Cities and tag at Fabric MPLS with your own thoughts on social media. You can also stay up to date and find other resources on our website, fabricmpls.com.